and welcome to another edition of Solid Steps Radio. I am Chad Russell. That is Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How are you doing today, Kurt? Awesome, man. Good. Good to see you. Good to be seen. Uh, we are uh, a show for men by men, talking about things from a man's perspective. So if you're just joining us for the first time, thank you. If you're joining us for a repeat visit, we really thank you for being a listener. And uh, if you didn't catch last week's show, we had a couple guys, we had a triathlete, we had a speed golfer, which is a very interesting sport, by the way, and a, a personal trainer author. And uh, we talked about fitness last week. So uh, join that. Uh, if you want to hear that episode of that podcast, commercial free, you can go to Facebook, you can go to SoundCloud, you can go to iTunes and just type in Solid Steps Radio, or you can go to furtherstillministries.org and click on the mic and you can listen to all of our past shows in their entirety. So, Kurt, have you ever been driving down the road? Never. And you drop, just, I'll let you know when you're supposed to be phone. Oh, okay, 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 yet, okay, 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 okay. So you ever drive down the road <laughs> and drop your phone in between your seat and your console? Oh yeah, that's very aggravating. Uh, I mean, in, in my car, like the console and the seat, there's like no space. And I have pretty skinny hands. And I, I'm like squeezed down there and I'm trying to get it and you can't reach it. And then it never fails. When you need a red light, what do you get? A green light. A green light. Oh, of and course. When, and when you need a green light, what do you get? <laughs> a red light. You can never get it. And you're like, you're trying to get it. And of course, I'm not driving while I'm doing this. But 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 you get, want to be driving. Yes, right. So it's like trying to get that phone. It's got to be one of the most frustrating things in the world. It just gets stuck. And you're trying to get down there, trying to get, and finally you get it out. It's like, man, it took, had to move the earth just to get my phone. So everybody probably can relate to that. But you know, that is probably a little analogy for all of us in life that literally we feel like we are stuck. Like that phone, we can't get to it. We, we, we can't get a green light. We can't get a red light. And we just want to get that phone. We want to get unstuck the phone. And we want to get unstuck ourselves personally. And today we got a guest who uh, he experienced that personally and has wrote a book about the principles of how do we get unstuck. Yeah, so it is a great honor to have you, Dan Webster, on the on the show with us. Welcome, brother. Thank you. Glad okay. to be here. Yeah, you know, um, you've come all the way from? From uh, Holland, Michigan. Holland, Michigan. Five right. hours and right. 45 minutes right. or whatever. We are so but I'm okay because it's tulip week, and that means a half a million people are entering the city, and there's a million tulips, and so there's one less there now. <laughs> so I'm assuming Holland, Michigan, is it really like a Dutch feel? No, it's an Irish community. Okay. Of course it's a Dutch community. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just assuming. <laughs> yeah. If it was Irish, you wouldn't have a million tulips. It'd have a million bars. <laughs> no, it's a great place. It really is. It is a great place, mm -hmm. and uh, it's really pretty this time of year. Oh, but, but spectacular. Yeah. Um, Nancy and I are looking forward to coming up there sometime when it's like this, and we'll, we'll join that half a million crowd um, maybe next year. Good. But it's it's great to have you here, and you. we we want um we want to just pick your brain about. Uh, getting unstuck and how, how, because all of us guys as chad alluded to we we can just get stuck in a whole host of different ways but you personally you've been in ministry how long over 40 years 40 dude you're getting old <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i fall asleep wake me up chad okay. <laughs> i'll throw something at you yeah. a wooden shoe you are you are i think one of the uh, maybe the youngest 65 year olds i know well, I think that's true. There's no doubt. You yeah. you have a um, 
I did 20 years of student ministry, and so I'm still, a, I'm still a 17-year-old locked in a dying body. That's kind of how we look at this thing. <laughs> That's how Judy looks at you, That's too, it, sometimes, exactly. right? <laughs> you and Judy have been married how long? 43 years. 43 years. 1973. Yeah. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. I'm 43. That's why I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, so when you started ministry, I mean, you, God called you, and then you started... Uh, you started rocking and rolling. God was using you in big ways. You made your way all the way up to, I mean, some would call the pinnacle of student ministry. You were leading at Willow Creek Community Church up in, you know, right outside Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is just exploding. Well, it was a, <clears throat> it's kind of an odd way that I got into student ministry. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I grew up in Southern California. And um, when I entered high school, I was five feet five and weighed 185 pounds. So I was kind of on the bad end of the social continuum. I would roll to class and roll out of class, tried out for every sport, didn't make a single sport. So between my sophomore year and my senior year, Mother Nature hit me with her wand and I ended up playing on a varsity basketball team that played for a state championship as a high school senior. So as a senior in high school, I had everything that everyone said you're supposed to have that I longed for as a sophomore in order to be happy. And I can remember when we won the semifinal game to qualify for the state championship in the Los Angeles Sports Arena. I was the first one out, and I'm sitting on the bleachers, and I'm watching the janitor sweep up the fallen banners. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the, va- in the bus with my 12 teammates. We're going to go back to the high school. There's going to be 2,000 people there behind the school, and the door of the bus will open, and they'll be like the Red Sea will part, and everyone will be clapping for us. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go in, as I sit on the bleachers, I'm thinking, I'm going to go in, put my gym bag down, go out and take the hand of my five-foot-seven, blonde-haired, green-eyed girlfriend with the body of an aerobics instructor, and I'm going to get in my tricked-out Volkswagen bug, which were cool back then, <laughs> and I'm going to drive to her house, and I'm going to kiss her in a little more if I'm lucky, and then I'm going to prepare for a state championship. And I have this awareness as a senior in high school that I have everything that I've ever longed for and there's something missing in my life. Mm. And so it was at that point when I think God really started to draw me to himself. We ended up losing uh, the state championship by three points. If we could have a moment of silence, just. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but. Uh, it still hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, but I, you know, so I went on to junior college, I played basketball, and I thought I was gonna be pre-med. Between my freshman and my sophomore year in, in college, I go back to visit some of my friends that I played basketball with, and. Two of them had strung out on drugs, and one of them had had a baby and could care less about his girlfriend or his child. And I'm driving away from there because I don't remember one authentic Christian kid on my high school campus. I don't remember a Christian presence, no YFC, no Young Life, no Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so God literally kind of drew me to himself. So I'm driving away from being with my three friends. My life is becoming more and more integrated in Christ. I had found Christ as a, as a high school a senior. And I'm thinking, man, why didn't someone do something for kids like me while I was in high school to, to help me, to help guys like me hear about the love of Christ because Christ's love had turned me upside down. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, I felt like God said, yeah, why doesn't someone do that? And that was the moment that God ruined my life <laughs> because I had this awakening. Oh, my gosh, God is, doesn't want me to be a doctor. He wants me to work with kids. And so I did. I went on to Biola University, played basketball there, and I got hired at Garden Grove Community Church for this first student ministry role. And one year into that, I met a man named Bill Hybels who was doing youth ministry in Chicago. And I flew back to 
Chicago and saw 1,100 kids in his high school ministry, and Bill became a great friend and mentor, and that student ministry grew to about 800 kids, 850 kids for five years, and then Willow Creek Community Church, which Bill birthed with a number of other people, got uh, planted, and uh, Bill invited us to come back and to take over the student ministry there in 1981. And so for 11 years, um, I was on the staff at Willow Creek, and uh, by the grace of God, Ten years into that time, uh, with the help of an incredible group of professionals and volunteers, yeah, I was leading the largest student ministry in the country. We had over 1,500 high school kids, and and um, what was really confusing for me mm. was that I walked into the auditorium. I had spent pretty much 17, 18, 19 years really trying to get good at doing student ministry, and uh, I knew that that was the work that God had my name on it. And so when you, you know, it was, I loved it. I was effective at it. I was as good as anyone in the country at it. And I walk into the auditorium and you can feel the energy, you know, like the walls bulging. You got 1,800 high school kids in there. And, and I realized I don't want to be there anymore. And it was a very confusing time. I felt stuck because it, this was not a me Jesus problem. I, I wasn't involved in some aberrant behavior in a closet that would disqualify me. Uh, it wasn't my spiritual disciplines were fine. I didn't hate kids. I awakened to the fact that what had once given me life, what had given me life to lead for 17 years, was now sucking the life out of me. And uh, that experience, you know, I went to my my direct reports there at the church, and they were incredibly understanding. And they, uh, I asked for a three month sabbatical. They gave it to me, and I, all sorts of things. Uh, kind of followed from that experience, but it kicked me into about a year and a half midlife dip where I rethought everything I believed about leadership and about why this happened to me. You know, I wonder- Now, you were how old at the time? I was 40. You were 40. I was 40 years old. And I didn't have the wisdom to know at that point. I do today. I mean, I've written a book on it today. But I didn't have the wisdom at that point to know, okay, what has happened to me? Is there, you know, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about how breakups in the makeup of a leader surface in the middle of leadership pressure. But I'd been in leadership for 20 years under a lot of pressure. And or was this some, uh, you know, family of origin issue? Often psychologists will tell you that between 35 and 45, any suppressed childhood issues tend to surface. You don't have the energy on a kind of a subconscious level to hold those down anymore. Mm. Uh, or was this some predictable transition that maturing leaders, that maturing people, that Christ followers tend to go through sometime in life. Does something shift in the inner world? Let's you know, just talk about men. Does there something shift in the inner world of a man sometime, somewhere between 35 and maybe 45 or 50 that isn't primarily about the work, but it's about a different work, an inner work? And so during that year and a half, I, I thought a lot about a lot of things and got to the place where uh, I have a pretty good understanding of what happened. That's, um, we are, that's fascinating and that is powerful, brother. We're gonna, we need to take a break and then we're going to come back and continue to, what did God teach you through all that? We're going to come back with Dan and find out what happened when he had that midlife crisis that many guys kind of run into at some point. I think I'm in the middle of one right now. So we'll be back shortly. Thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to Solid Steps Radio for our second segment. We are a show for men by men, talking about things from a man's perspective. And we're talking today with Dan Webster, who's an author, 
life coach, and he has written a book called Unstuck, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. We're talking about his story about being unstuck. And if you've got some stuff on your carpet that you cannot get unstuck, maybe you just need to get new carpet. You need to go to Carol Rogers Carpet One and let them take care of all your flooring needs. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, that's one of my jobs. It's just I like <laughs> to do that. Uh, vision First, and uh, for all your eye care needs, uh, pop some contacts in my eyes today from Vision First. We thank you for them. Ellen and Credit Union. If you're stuck financially. Yeah, so there you go. See, get unstuck. Go to Ellen and they can help you out. And Bright Star Home Care, which they really are a great organization. We're going to have them on show to talk more about what they do. They help people who want to stay in their homes, long care, without having to go into nursing homes. So Bright Star is a great organization. So we want to thank all of those folks for partnering with us and sponsoring our show. So Dan, you you are a life coach because of all that you had gone through. I mean, yeah. God God had worked and moved, but you're in the, the middle of this, leading this largest student ministry in the country, and yet you feel like I'm being sucked dry. I, I my, my soul, my inner man is just, I'm, I'm in a desert. What are, what are you feeling emotionally? What are you thinking? And then how did you navigate out of that? Well, I think <clears throat> some of the uh, primary feelings, I was uh, afraid and I was confused. I was afraid because I knew that if some shift didn't happen inside of me, I didn't think that I'd ever be able to really re-engage ministry on the level that I had. And that was terrifying. I was afraid because for 20 years I had stood in front of high school kids every week and I had communicated to them that it doesn't matter where you are in life, God loves you. I don't care where you've been, you're upside down, if you're face down, whatever, God loves you. Well, now I'm at a place where mm. as long as you're bearing fruit and doing well and you teach that, that's cool. Now when you're at a place when I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to teach anymore or to care anymore, I, is the stuff that I taught really true? So it was, it was frightening, it was confusing, because uh, where I've come to today is I understand that uh, in life and leadership development, there are two lifelong works that every man needs to be about. And I use the metaphor of a sailboat to teach that. I talk about how there's this above the waterline and below the waterline part to a sailboat. Above the waterline has to do with the externals. Below the waterline has to do with the internals. And so above the waterline, there is what's called the work of the work. And that is that there is a work that has your name on it as a man. You must do the work of discovering who you are and then developing yourself so that you can make a contribution to the planet. For 20 years, the work of the work that God had my name on was student ministry. Now, what if I don't wanna do that anymore? I mean, so what's God doing concerning the work of the work? And then beneath the waterline, the work of the heart has to do with your soul, your character, your integrity as a man. The human being you're becoming. You know, in biblical terminology, above the waterline, we want to bear much fruit. Below the waterline, we want to be conformed spiritually into the image of Christ. Well, I didn't understand then, but I understand now that that whole valley and the transition I was going through is that I had had a disproportionate focus on the work of the work. I had completely poured myself in mm. in the first half of my life to try to bear as much fruit as I possibly could. And I hadn't uh, intentionally neglected my inner world. But I am completely convinced now that somewhere around midlife, once a man uh, spends you know, his first 35 or 40 years trying to kind of figure out where do I fit in the pecking order of human existence, and they develop some uh, marketplace skills, and then they do that, I think that there's a shift where God begins to go after in a commiserate fashion, just not your marketplace skills or the way that you show up in the world and how your talent touches you, but who the man is that's showing up and 
touching the world. And so at that point, uh, you know, I'm feeling very confused, uh, very frustrated, very fearful. Um, what I did is I began to, A, uh, talk with older people to try to figure out, is this some – could I have anticipated this if I had been wiser, if I had had more older people in my life? Number two is I began to read everything I could about midlife. And I, you know, read Iron John by Robert Bly and all these books to try to figure out, you know, what do the sages have to say over this? I sat down in a counselor's office and I uh, walked through my family of origin, and uh, which I thought was highly normal, but what I recognized, I had some really significant breakthroughs in recognizing, like one breakthrough was that I came to understand through counseling that I was raised by a mother that had very uh, low boundaries. She allowed my father to kind of transgress her emotionally, mm -hmm. and she never basically said, Dave, if you say that one more time, I'm out, of the, do I'm out the door. And so uh, when my counselor recognized, he said, Webster, you're highly intuitive. And uh, in one session he said, have you, uh, guys who are as intuitive as you are, almost always they have watched somebody suffer as they grew, as they grew up. And he asked me, he said, did your dad ever beat your mom? And I said, I never remember Bobby and my dad beating my mom. He said, well, was he emotionally cruel to her? And I said, I have no idea. So my father had already passed, you know, he'd been dead for a number of years. So I ended up, next time I saw my mom, I took her for a drive and I told her, I'm trying to sort through some stuff in midlife, mom. Did dad ever hit you? No. Was dad ever emotionally cruel to you? And my mom broke down for 20 minutes, she sobbed. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, why did you not say, Dave, I'm out of here. And she said, well, Dan, you know, we had Brian, who was my younger brother who had Down syndrome, and women of my era didn't do that. So you just put up with it. So that was just one small. And you, <clears throat> you, I mean, you, you didn't consciously under, uh, understand what was going no, on. No, I but, didn't. But you were learning patterns. Absolutely, you do. Yeah, your family, everything is affected by your family of origin. <clears throat> so when I, <clears throat> When I recognized that, I realized that one of the contributing factors to me hitting my wall and getting stuck in midlife was that I had disproportionately, I didn't have well enough defined boundaries and I had let the pressures and responsibilities of my work encroach upon me over a long period of time. So it was, it was, that was just one of the contributing factors. So, but it took me about 18 months to work through all that stuff, to think through, rethink through who I was and what I wanted to get to is how in the world do you manage your heart, manage your life in such a way to be able to sustain making your contribution above the waterline? What do I need to do beneath the waterline to recognize what kind of disciplines, habits do I need to have in my life? How do I lead my life from quiet? How do I self-manage so that I can be uh, consistently moving away from stuck areas in my life. How do I do that? And so during those couple of years, the seeds for what I'm doing today with my uh, nonprofit authentic leadership were really planted. I mean, that really then catapulted you to start authentic leadership. It did. I, and I wondered if anybody would care. Because <laughs> it was a huge risk. I mean, well, I mean what, what you did, I mean, you left that the largest student yeah. ministry yeah. in the country. Yeah. You left one of the largest churches in the country, and you, you just yeah, left. Probably not a good career move, as people would say. But, but, but God was in the whole thing. Oh, he was absolutely in the whole thing. And as a matter of fact, as much I have 
deep love and admiration for Bill and for the ministry of Willow Creek. I mean, I just I shake my head at all the things that Bill has navigated over the years. But for me, I came to recognize at Willow, I would not get better unless I left Willow. I knew that all of the relevance, if you're on, because when I took my sabbatical and I came back, then Bill makes me part of the teaching team and the adult management team. And so if you're part of the teaching team at Willow, I mean, it's a cool climate, but you're, you're kind of a celebrity. And I recognized that I needed to leave all the relevance of Willow Creek, and I needed to go to a smaller, less known place, and I needed to get healed there. I needed to regain perspective on my own life, on how I wanted to manage my life. I wanted to do my life more from quiet. And so God has, uh, he's created kind of a niche for me uh, in uh, helping people understand, helping leaders understand uh, what does authentic leadership look like. I mean, that was a huge risk. Big risk, yeah. Because, I mean, your identity is, uh, in, in yeah. so many ways, is, this. hey, this is Dan Webster. This is the guy, the guru of student ministries around the country, and you're going to pull away from that. I mean, in, in one sense, that's, that's the CEO of this big company and you're going to step down and do something much, much smaller so that you can do it. Save my soul. Yeah. So that I can, so that I can restore my soul. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, one, of the, one of the really painful principles is that uh, doing the work of God can destroy the work of God in you if you don't do it right. Say that again. Doing, you can do the work of God with all the energy you have, but if you don't do it in the right way, the work of God can destroy the work of God in you. And doing ministry in high energy ministry for a long period of time had exposed that I wasn't leading my inner world in a way that would uh, that was commiserate with the demands uh, above the waterline. And it was man, I mean, it was humiliating. It was horribly humiliating to realize, you know, what I can't do this anymore. And like you said, your whole identity is built on that. And so there was a reshift in your identity, and there's, there's a story there, too. Well, we're going we're gonna to come back and, and talk about that story, because then God began to do not just heal you, but God has used you to influence and, and impact and heal many other leaders around the country. Yeah, well, I found out that a lot of people have uh, slammed into the wall after me. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a break, and we're going to hear about that wall that many men have run into, and you may be right now, it may be right in front of you, (laughs) or you may be smack dab in the middle of hitting that wall, or and you just don't know where to pick up and move on from there, and Dan's going to help coach us through that a little bit, and we're going to take a break. Be back shortly with author Dan Webster of the book Unstuck on Solid Steps Radio. 